I'm, you're studying the book of Joshua, and I'm one of the two men Joshua sent in to spy out the promised land, in particular Jericho, uh, before we marched across the Jordan River and attacked it. So my story begins, uh, Israel is camped on the east side of the Jordan River. We've already had a victory. We fought and utterly destroyed the two kings of the Amorites, uh, Sihon and Og, just put them all to death, occupied their lands. Uh, Reuben, Dan, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they wanted that land, and so uh, Joshua agreed to let that be their inheritance. So we already had some land. But, and Joshua told Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, you may leave your women and your children here, but all the men of fighting age have to come with us across the Jordan River to take the rest of the promised land because, uh, you know, the rest of us need to occupy our inheritance. And this is a, a very important lesson, actually, for the uh, spiritual lesson for the people of God. We can't just think about ourselves, can we? Uh, we've got to be uh, in it for, for the whole family. And so it's not enough for us to occupy our inheritance, for us to be living a victorious Christian life when our brother and sisters are still struggling uh, to enjoy spiritual rest, when they're still struggling for victory. Uh, we've, we've got to just fight for each other. And that's a very important spiritual principle. In fact, here at Clearwater Church, I know that you guys have got some journey groups starting up right now, and journey groups are a great place to fight for each other. Sure, you benefit by having people know your life story, praying for you, sharing biblical truth to encourage you. But sometimes we come to that place and we say, I don't feel the need but you know what? Even when you don't feel the need for yourself, others have need of you. That's a very important truth. So there's always a reason to be a part of a journey group because there are people who need you to, to listen to them and know them and pray for them and encourage them in the faith. And, and uh, got to remember, we, it's not enough for us to enjoy the inheritance ourselves. We've got to care about the whole family. So... Joshua sent my buddy and me secretly into the promised land. In other words, he didn't tell the rest of the Israelites. It was a secret mission, not just secret from the Canaanites. It was even secret from the rest of Israel. And why is it? Well, it's because, most likely, it's because Joshua had been burned 40 years earlier when he was sent as a spy into the promised land. So if you back up you know, in your history, you got to remember that uh, the people of God were right on the edge of the promised land 40 years earlier, and uh, one person, one man from each of the 12 tribes was appointed to be a spy. Joshua was one of those 12. They went into the promised land. They spied it out. They came home. They had a great report. On one hand, it was a great report. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a rich and desirable land. But 10 of the 12 spies said, but we do not recommend going into the land. Uh, the, the people in the land are giants. 
And they're so much better equipped militarily than we are. They have standing armies. They, have, they live in fortified cities with big high walls. If we go in there, we're going to be utterly destroyed. Let's not do it. But Joshua and Caleb, the two dissenters, said, yes, the people are large, the armies are, are big, the walls are high, but God is on our side and God will fight for us. Don't give in to fear, live by faith, trust God. In fact, to, to, sh- to, to withdraw, to shrink back would actually be to be rebelling against God who has told us, go take the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hundreds of years earlier. I'm, 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 it's time for me to deliver on my promise, but you've got to go take it. Boy, that's a big spiritual principle too. What God has for us doesn't just come to us without effort. God doesn't just say, here's your spiritual inheritance, which for you is a life free from uh, the power of sin, a life of victory in Jesus and fellowship with your God. And uh, so, but it doesn't just come to you. You have to fight for it. God will empower you to be victorious, but you can't just be a, a casual, idle, passive person and expect to enjoy the, your full inheritance in Jesus Christ. you got to go for it. Well, unfortunately, the, my father and mother's generation gave in to fear. They lived by fear and not by faith. They listened to the fear mongers, not the men of faith, and, and they shrunk back and said, no, we can't. And so God was angry with that generation, and he said, fine, then you will spend your days wandering in the wilderness, and it won't be until your children's generation, they're the ones who will get to go into the promised land. And so what do you think our parents told us uh, when, when we were growing up in the wilderness? Do you think they said, hey, kids, we did the right thing? Uh, it was smart of us to give in to fear and not walk by faith. Learn from us. Well, they did say learn from us, but they said, don't do what we did. We failed. We blew it. We gave in to fear. We didn't live by faith, and so we didn't, we didn't trust the Lord and go take what could have been ours. We could have been living across the Jordan in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, but we lived out of fear and, and And so they said, look, you're going to get a chance someday, and when you get a chance, you do not listen to the fear mongers. You listen to the people of faith. You be people of faith. Be strong and courageous. Trust your God and go take your inheritance. You know, living by faith is all about being impressed with the right thing or the right one. And and so... When you live by fear, you're impressed with the enemy. You're impressed with the obstacles. When you live by faith, you're impressed with God. And you say, yeah, there are enemies in the land. There are big fortified cities and and giants with big spears and swords. But God is greater than all of them. Well, my buddy and I... We, we, were, we thought we were being sneaky, right? We're spies, and our job is to s- spy out the land. And, and so we have to be stealthy. 
And so we wait till it's dark, and we creep up to the Jordan River, and we wade and swim across it, and uh, we think that we think that we are inconspicuous and flying under the radar. We, we go to Jericho, and, and our plan was, okay, we, we don't want to be noticed, so what are we going to do? We went to the house of the local prostitute, Rahab. Two young men headed to the city, go into the prostitute's house. Who's going to take notice of that? Well, the people of Jericho noticed because they were acutely aware of the fact that the Israelites, who had just conquered the Amorites, were camped only 13 miles away right across the, the Jordan River. And they were watching carefully, and they did notice us. And they noticed us go to Rahab's house. So the king of Jericho is informed. A couple of men from Israel have come. They're spying out the land. They're at Rahab's house, and the king says, go get them. Knock on the door. Rahab, a couple of men came to you, they're Israelites, they're here to spy out the land, send them out to us. Rahab is one savvy, crafty woman. She had pre-seen that uh, we were going to be called for, and so she had hidden us up on her roof under some flax, so flax harvest, uh, and uh, she had had us lie down on her roof, and she had thrown some flax. It wasn't very comfortable, but it was better than being turned over to the king's men. So we're up there on the roof, buried underneath some stalks of flax, and uh, not, for sh- not knowing for sure what Rahab's going to do. Well, Rahab lies to the king's men, and she said, yeah, a couple of guys came. I didn't know, who, who, you know where they were from, but, uh, but they left, right? Right before sunset, they exited the city. In fact, if you go now, I am confident you'll be able to catch them. Now, I've often thought, I've I've often wondered, why did the king's men not search the house? If they had searched the house, they probably would have found us. Now, on one hand, I have to assume that it's part of it is the providential protection of God. He, he, had, he was fighting for us even, even you know, at, that, at that point. But I also think it underscores just how absurd the idea that a Canaanite woman, a resident of Jericho, would take our side. I mean, we, why in the world would a Canaanite woman of Jericho... Uh, help us. We were the enemy. We posed a, to- a threat to the city, to everyone she knew and loved. And, and I think that, you know, it was just so inconceivable that the king's men just took her at her word. Oh, okay. They didn't bother to search the house because who in the world would have thought that she had, you know, what possible reason would she have to help us? The king's men exit the city, they, the gates of the city are shut, a little time come, goes by, and, and Rahab comes up to the roof and talks to us. In fact, what she says is so significant because it reveals you know, her, her heart, her motivation, her belief system, that it is recorded for us in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 2. And I'm going to read you what Rahab says. Joshua 
Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, before the men lay down, oh, I was there, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, quote, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, that's very significant. How would she know the Lord has given us the land? Somehow she has been listening to Jewish theology. See, she has her, she, it's very interesting. She does not say to us, I, I know that you think the Lord has given you the land. She has, she has accepted this to be, in fact, true. I know that the Lord has given you the land. So she's been listening into Jewish theology and believes it. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. She includes herself. I, my family, my neighbors, everyone I encounter, we are afraid of you. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Melt away. Like this snow that uh, you guys got recently that's melting away. You know, some of the Canaanites... I think it packed up and already left because they were so convinced that Israel was going to do to them what they had just done to uh, the Ammonites, Amorites. Verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction." First thing I want you to note here, because I think it's a very, uh, it's a good corrective to your day and age. She says, I know, for we have heard. Now, in, in your generation, there seems to be an unwillingness to accept any source of knowledge other than the empirical. But here, Rahab, who puts her faith in God ultimately and is saved from destruction... She, she has accepted as a source of knowledge testimony about God's acts in time and space. This first act, that God dried up the water of the Red Sea, that had happened 40-plus years earlier, she, you know, maybe even before she was born. She didn't witness that. She heard about it, and she, she, she had accepted it as a source of truth so that she knew it. And then what we did to the two kings of the Amorites, that had happened uh, not that long earlier. Whom you devoted to destruction. The word she uses is uh, cherem, which is an important word in the Old Testament. And it means consecrated to the Lord. God claimed ownership. And in this instance... What God purposed for the Amorites was total destruction. Cherem. And we had just executed the judgment of the Lord upon the Amorites, which was total destruction, men, women, and children. And, whether she knows it or not, God had declared Cherem upon Jericho. It had been consecrated to the Lord. By the way, that's why Achan... Uh, when Achan held on to some of the gold from Jericho, that was a great sin that came back uh, uh, upon the whole 
on the, upon the whole nation, and you'll, you'll learn about that in upcoming weeks, because it had been consecrated to the Lord. It was not to be used for any other purpose. And, and the people of Jericho had been, uh, were under the ban. They had been purposed by God for destruction as punishment for their sin. And so she, she, it, she knows this. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord... Now, you should underline this next line. This is, this is shocking. A Canaanite woman, a, a prostitute, a, a woman of Jericho, utters an unbelievably high theology For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. For the Lord, that's the proper name for God. The Jews today will always say Adonai, which means my master. They do not uh, wish to blaspheme by pronouncing the, the proper name of the Lord. Uh, but, but as Christians, Jesus says we, we can call him Abba daddy. But so she, she says God, but God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the God of the Jews, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. He, he is sovereign in all parts of the universe. This is the sovereign God, and he's your God. He has a personal relationship with the people of Israel. So it's a personal God who's all-powerful, and she wants in. She wants in. Verse 12, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my Father's house. This word kindly is another very important word. In, in, the, uh, in the Bible. So we talked about uh, cherem, consecrated the Lord, and this is the word chesed, chesed. And, and here's why I think, you know, she is saying, I want in. Chesed is a word you use when you're in a covenant relationship with somebody. It's often translated loving kindness. And so husbands and wives show chesed to each other because of the nature of their relationship. They're in a covenant relationship. God shows chesed to his people because he is in a covenant relationship with them, and he expects them to return that. Uh, it's also fidelity. So here's what she's saying. She's saying, I just, when, when I lied to the king's men and protected you, I did not treat you as if I were a Canaanite woman, for whom you're the enemy, I just treated you as if, as if I'm on your side, one of you. So I just related to you as, as, if, as if I'm on your team, on your side, one of you, and I'm hoping you'll reciprocate that to me. Right? As I have dealt kindly or with chesed with you, please also deal kindly with chesed to my father's house and give me a sure sign that you'll save alive my father and my mother, 
my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Now, in that moment, who, who's in danger? <laughs> my buddy and I are acutely aware we are in danger. We're still in Jericho. The king's men are still looking for us. We're the ones who should be afraid and, and begging for our lives. But she is so convinced that God has given us the land and God is going to fight for us and that if she is not you know, a part of the people of God, if, she's, if she doesn't find mercy, she and everyone she loves will be destroyed. She is afraid of God, not the king's men. Well, very savvy woman. She makes the offer before we're fully safe. <laughs> so we're up there on her roof, still feeling extremely vulnerable, extremely at risk. And so we say to her, okay, your life for our life. If you, you know, help us get out of here and get safely back to, to Joshua and we come and conquer Jericho, then then okay, we will we'll make sure that you and your family are safe. So we take the deal. At that point, she shows us the, the rest of the way out. Her house is built in the city wall. Uh, shows you how thick those walls of Jericho were. Uh, and so there, she lets us out a window right on the wall, uses a rope, and uh, lowers us down. Now once... Once we are confident that we are truly safe, we add a few stipulations to the deal. It's kind of like once we're on our way out, we're like, oh, by the way, couple of conditions. Condition number one, you have to leave a scarlet-colored rope in the window uh, so that when we come against Jericho, uh, the soldiers of Israel... We'll know what house is yours, and we can instruct them. Don't go killing the people who are in the house where the you know scarlet rope is hanging out the window. Condition number one. Condition number two, everybody uh, that you want saved has to be in the house. If they're out of the house, we can't be responsible. Uh, and maybe they're out even fighting us, and they get killed. So... You know, I, we're not responsible to keep them safe unless they're in the house with you. And she says, okay, I agree to that. Uh, and then she gives us the, her last piece of kind of safety help, and that is she in, instructs us to head to the hills. Jericho is uh, very nil, uh, it's, it's uh, built not that far away from a pretty steep, um, barren hillside. And she tells us, Go up into the hills, which is the opposite direction of, of the Jordan River. Go up into the hills and hide out for three days. And after three days, then make your way back to camp because the king's soldiers are only going to look for, for you for three days, and that's what we do. We go hide in the hills. Three days later, we stealthily make our way back to Joshua, and we tell Joshua everything that happened to us. And we are encouraged. You know, we've been whispering to each other during those three days, uh, rehearsing what has happened and growing increasingly bold and encouraged in the Lord because we, be, we see in what has just happened uh, the, the, the help of God. And so we recount that to Joshua and our concluding, you know, the, the big takeaway from us is 
God is absolutely with us. He is going to give us this whole land. The people are afraid of us. They're, we're not going to you know, encounter great resistance because they're afraid of their melting with fear. Let's go. It, time is right. God's with us. Let's do this thing. Totally different response than, you know, than the 12 spies 40 years earlier who tried to sow fear. Uh, we came back full of faith and, and, and encouraged Joshua. The bottom line, encourage Joshua. Rahab, you will, you'll see in uh, the upcoming weeks as you study the actual uh, fall of, of uh, Jericho, you're going to see that we fulfilled our end of the bargain. We did keep her safe and, and all those in her home safe. Um, even though God had consecrated... Uh, all the inhabitants of Jericho for destruction. Um, Joshua didn't chastise us for making this deal. In fact, he gave Rahab and her family uh, a camp right on the outskirts of our camp. And over time, they were incorporated into the people of God. Rahab married Solomon, an Israelite. And one of their descendants was uh, Jesse, no, actually, it was Boaz, and one of uh, Boaz's descendants was Jesse, who is the father of King David, and one of King David's descendants is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which means Rahab, one of Rahab's direct descendants, was the Messiah himself, and, and, and David, king of Israel, uh, which I, I, I just can't help but see as God's giant stamp of approval on, on Rahab and, uh, and saving her. In fact, uh, in Hebrews, in the New Testament, Hebrews lifts Rahab up as a paradigm of faith. This is a woman of faith, and her faith was credited to her as righteousness by God. And James, the apostle James, says... She's a great example of faith in action, the kind of faith that actually saves you because she didn't just believe, she put her belief into action. She put her very life on the line. Did you know Rahab is the very first convert to Judaism the Bible zooms in on? Yes, there were is, uh, there were Egyptians who went with the people of God out of Egypt, so presumably they had faith. Zipporah married Moses. But this is the first non-Israelite who, who the Bible zooms in on and talks about what's going on in her mind and heart. Uh, and so, therefore, she is a uh, kind of a paradigm of conversion. This is what it looks like to not be a part of the people of God and then become part of the people of God. Or as the New Testament talks about, going from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so I think it is important to, to really look at what happens with Rahab. How does... Uh, because she stands as sort of a, a paradigm of conversion. So, actually, I want to talk briefly about her conversion, just sort of an anatomy of a conversion here. Uh, and I see three things. Number one, Rahab believed what she heard about God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, and so, presumably, you have faith, 
presumably you're Christians, which means at some point you believed what you heard about God. And of course, the, the, the testimony of God's acts in time and space on behalf of his people is recorded here in the Bible. And we all have to make a decision. Will we believe what the Bible says to be true? Will it become knowledge for us? And that was for her. Number two, she chose God's side. Make no mistake, when those, the king's men knocked on the door, Rahab had a monster choice to be made. Who was she going to side with? The king of Jericho? The people she grew up with? The culture she grew up with? Everything she had known? Or was she going to switch sides and, and become part of the people of God and be on God's side? She made a choice. She put her life on the line. It was treasonous what she did. She could have been killed for it. And, and you, you know, people don't become Christians without a choice. Uh, the relation, your relationship with God doesn't start when you're born. Well, if it does, you're actually born an enemy of God. You're born in the kingdom of darkness. You're born as a spiritual Canaanite. And there has to come a point in your life where you say, I I'm abandoning that, and I am now choosing to be on God's side. Has that happened to you? And then finally, Rahab casts herself upon mercy. And even though it's, she's casting herself on the mercy, you know, on, in a sense, my buddies and my mercy, she's really casting herself upon the mercy of God. She knows she cannot save herself she doesn't put hope in, in the strength of the walls or, her, or the might of the Canaanite army or the size of the people and their big swords, swords and spears. She, she says, my only hope is mercy, chesed. And that's the case today, right? People can't save themselves. The only hope is they cast themselves upon the mercy of God which has been put on display in Jesus, made available in the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. So this is really a story. It's a story of God's heart. There's a reason the Bible spends so much real estate on Rahab's story. Uh, and it's because it says, look, you know, here, here is a person who, you know, was not upstanding. I mean, this, this, this was, she was not the paradigm of virtue amongst all the Canaanite people, right? Okay, this isn't like the best of, the best of the Canaanites were saved because, uh, you know, they were standouts. No, she was, she was the local prostitute. Uh, and she's a Canaanite. She had, been, she had been consecrated to God for destruction. Of course, that's the case with all people on the planet, really. What does the Bible tell us? It's appointed once for man to die, and after that, the judgment, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And the Bible is very clear that we've all been consecrated for destruction. But she gets saved. 
And so can we because of the mercy of God. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth seeking to uphold those whose hearts are completely his. He knew the heart of Rahab and God acted on her behalf so that she could be saved. And there are friends and family and co-workers and neighbors who can also be saved by the mercy of God if they will turn to God, choose him, and put their faith in Jesus. The Bible, you know, the New Testament talks about it very simply as repent of your sins and put your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith, and you'll be saved. So this is a story, a great story, of God's mercy and it's available to everyone, everyone, everyone. Until your life is over, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if any man opens it, the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. There is time to be saved, and then there won't be. Then the time will have passed. Well, thank you for letting me be with you today. As I'm going, I just want to make one more point, which is I love the fact that Rahab... I love the fact that Rahab was very concerned for her family. She wanted mom and dad, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces. She wanted all of those that she loved to also be saved. And I think that's a, a good parting word for us. Is uh, When you experience the mercy of God, when you get saved, uh, doesn't, doesn't love compel you to to try to extend that to other people. So take the good news that you have with you, uh, and I'll see you later.